Welcome to the Compass Christian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. For more information, visit us at compasslu.org. Well, good morning. Good morning. We're continuing our series, True Faith, this morning, and we'll be talking about faith in motherhood. And so here at the beginning, I think I'd like to point out that um, this is a topic that I believe I'm particularly well qualified for, okay? Faith in motherhood. So... No. I want to start with a few caveats. The first one is I'm not a mother. So I know that's, I know that's shocking to everyone here, uh, but I am not a mother. Um, second, I, you know, I think it's important to acknowledge on days like Mother's Day uh, that these days can be incredibly difficult for many of us. Um, you know, there are some of us who didn't really know our mothers. Um, some of us have uh, lost our mothers. Some of us recently lost our mothers. Um, some of us have strained relationships with uh, our mothers, um, or some of us has, may have strained relationship with our adult children. Um, some mothers have lost children. Uh, some mothers are struggling with infertility. And some of us have a longing to be mothers, and they're still waiting. And so Mother's Day doesn't always bring out the best emotions in us. And so I want to acknowledge these things. And actually, I'd like to take a moment here and just pray for the people that have difficult time on Mother's Day. Lord, we know that you are the great comforter of hearts, that you see what we're going through, that you see uh, the challenges that we face, and that you are with us in those times of sorrow, in those times of of weakness, in those times of difficulty. We know that your calling in our lives is a good calling. We know that our ultimate um, ending point is the kingdom of God when all the things that are wrong with the world will be made right again. But Father, your will is not done on earth as it is in heaven right now. And so that's what we pray for today, that your will would be done on earth as in heaven and that um, all the healing that needs to take place in, um, in all of our lives whether it's related to Mother's Day or not, that you would help us to pick up those broken pieces and see them completed and healed in Jesus. And so that's what we ask for today, God, that you would comfort those who are mourning today and be with them and bless them and encourage them and to help them to know that you are with them uh, in this time of mourning as well, Father. So I just lift them all up to you and help, help them to see. I just ask for you to work in their lives to help them to see that you're with them and comforting them. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Another thing about motherhood is that motherhood is complicated. We have a biblical perspective of motherhood, but like many things in the Bible, there's no real like systematic theology of motherhood. There's no like first when you have a little baby, this is what you do, and then when the baby turns one, this is what you do, and when kids turn four, this is what you do. Uh, There's no step-by-step set of instructions for mothers, Uh, but there are some guiding frameworks that the scriptures give us about motherhood. And then we have to also realize that we live in a culture that's not biblical, uh, not anymore. Uh, maybe back when this book was being written, there was a biblical culture, but that's not how it is today. So there are pressures that we face as parents, and I think mothers bear the brunt of that, quite frankly. Um, and so there are things, there are pressures that uh, try to pull us away from God's uh, intent for motherhood. And then the final thing I want to point out is that... Um, we have to realize that there's God's perspective or God's intent for something like motherhood, and then there's what we do. (laughs) And I acknowledge that I fall short as a father all the time, and so uh, I know I don't do it perfectly. 
And our society has really forwarded this, you know, our, my life has to be perfect, this Instagram-worthy, like, look at this awesome parenting moment I'm having right now. Uh, that's sort of like the agenda that we face in the world, and uh, that's not our goal. Our goal is not to, you know, biblical motherhood is not uh, being an Instagram-worthy mom. Um, that's not what we're going for. So please don't condemn yourself. Um, there is, there's God's intent, there's the cultures, what the culture thinks we should do, and then there's what we do, and there's sort of a mixture of all those things in there, and um, I want to acknowledge that that happens to me, I'm sure that happens to those of you who are mothers, and so the, the point is, is we just keep walking in the footsteps of Christ, and as we do that, we're going to see improvement in all of our lives, including parenting, including being a mother. So uh, at Amanda's request, I listened to the Truth Over Tribe podcast from about a month ago on what to expect when no one's expecting. And it was talking about some cultural shifts in uh, the ideas towards parenting and motherhood. Um, And there's a lot of great information that I learned from it. Um, And I think they also provide some great biblical perspective on parenting and especially parenting in the context of our modern Western culture. Uh, as many of you know, I'm a math nerd, and so I'm going to give you some of the statistics that they gave in their presentation. Uh, the statistics about motherhood in particular and parenthood are changing. Uh, for over 100 years, uh, from the year 1880 to 1980, essentially women always got married in their early 20s. From ages 20 to 22, that was when women got married. In the past 40 years, that number has increased from 22 years old to almost 29 years old in 2020. So just in 40 years, this thing that had been static for 100 years has changed by a significant percent. And it's been going up every single 10-year mark. Uh, There's also changing perspectives on even having children. 25 years ago, 60% of Americans considered having children to be very important. Today, that's down to 25%. So if you think about how much, I mean, that's just 25 years, how much that perspective has changed. Um, Interestingly enough, the uh, views on religion have changed similarly. 25 years ago, 62% of Americans considered religion, this is any religion, very important. Today, that's down to 39%. So we talk a lot, especially as pastors, pastors will throw out the post-Christian world, post-Christian society. Here are the statistics that back it up in in America. Um, And this is, again, this is just religion. This isn't all Christianity. Changing views on money. 25 years ago, 30% of Americans thought that having money was very important. Now, that statistic is up in the last 25 years. It's up to 42%. And so 60% fewer people are getting married than 50 years ago. So all these things are changing. Perspectives on, on uh, marriage is changing, the, the, how old you should be when you get married, how old you should be when you have or if you have children. You know, all these perspectives are changing, and I just want to point out sort of the, the bottom line that, that the, the podcast pointed out is Americans now find money more important than having children or having religion. Money is now statistically the most important thing, the most very important thing. So, you know, that's the world we live in. <laughs> that's the world we, we swim in. And our culture shapes our perception of what is important. And, you know, I think it's important for us to point out these things, but also not to fight culture wars. Like, that's not, that's not what following Jesus looks like. It doesn't look like getting in people's faces and being like, you should care more about having kids and, you know, Jesus than money. You know, it's like that's not what we're here to do. We're here to spread the gospel, and if people receive it, they receive it. I'm just pointing out some of these trends. 
Uh, let's turn to Matthew chapter 20. I'm just gonna, we're just going to have a couple verses this morning, and then I'm going to invite a couple of our mothers up because they're more qualified than I am to talk on this subject. So uh, we should think about who has more status or who should have more status in our culture. You have like the Ivy League educated lawyer or CEO, right? The guy who drives a fast car or whatever, or the mom of six kids. You know, which one should be more idealized? Um, who should have more status? And I think, you know, to answer that question, we should think about what Jesus says about status. In Matthew chapter 20, in verse 25, but Jesus called them to him and said, he's talking about this to his disciples, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus' perspective on being great is that the person who uh, serves, the person who takes care of other people in love, is the one who is going to be elevated in the kingdom. And again, our culture, this is completely countercultural. This is completely upside down. It was upside down 2,000 years ago. It's still upside down today. Uh, the perspective on what it looks like to be great, to be important, uh, is not this. Um, now, in the, again, we've talked about the world more generally is like the CEO or the high-powered high lawyer or something like that. But in the context of motherhood, this would be the, the perfect do-it-all mom, right? She's got a farm and animals, and she's got six kids. There's always this like adorable little smudge of mud on her cheek, but her hair and her makeup's perfect, right? She's always doing these videos. Right? You know, that's, 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 she has time to be an Instagram influencer on top of a farm. Like, who does that, you know? But that, is that what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew 20? Is that the kind of lifestyle? No, it's not. That's not the heart of God. The heart of God is that the greatest ones are the ones who serve others in love. And Jesus, you know, elsewhere in the Gospels, te teaches us to take up our crosses daily. He teaches us to love one another in a self-sacrificial way. And I just, am, you know, we all have mothers. I had a great example of a mom. I also have a great example of a wife who's a mom. And I have not met anyone who dies to self um, more than mothers, especially mothers with young children. You want to talk about dying to self and putting your needs and stuff aside? I think Anna is learning a little bit about that <laughs> this week. <laughs> She's dying to self in a big way. Now, mothers who live this way, and again, it's consistently. It's not perfectly. We're not talking about there is no such thing as a perfect mother. Um, but mothers who do this consistently, they embody the gospel message in a beautiful way because that's what we've seen here in what Jesus has said about um, leadership. So we can see in the pages of the Bible also the importance of discipleship. And for fathers and mothers, it's important to re remember that we are discipling these children, that that is uh, what we are here to do is to disciple the children. Uh, another thing I want to point out about um, being a mom, and especially moms with young children, and I know this might uh, be a little... I'm not intending this to be confrontational at all. Uh, please take this in the spirit in which it's intended. Um, but mother, being a mother is not everything. Being a mother, uh, whether you're dealing with young children or you're dealing with adult children, whatever the case might be, uh, being a mother is a role. And I'm not trying to diminish motherhood in any way by saying that it's a role because when you have young children, it can be all-encompassing and it can sort of consume everything. 
Um, but I just want to point out that, that the, the biblical uh, account of this is that motherhood is not your identity. It's not to be your be-all, end-all. Uh, in fact, I would say that motherhood is not eternal. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 says that love is eternal. And when it talks about faith and hope in the same context, it, those two are not eternal. We won't need faith and hope once we get into the kingdom of God because faith will be, uh, trust, even trusting God in, in, the, in the sense that we do now won't even be possible anymore because we'll be able to see God and see Jesus in a very visible sense. Hope won't be needed anymore because what we've hoped for has come. And so what's going to continue on is that love. And so the point I'm trying to make here is, is that love is eternal, but motherhood is not. Fatherhood is not. Um, you know, you will know, I want to reassure the mothers, you will know your kids in the kingdom of God, okay? You will know, they will know that you are their mother. They will remember the sacrifices that you made for them. But you will not be in that role anymore. It'll be different. The relationship will be different. Now, I also want to point out that single parents, you know, this day looks a little differently for single parents. Single parents play both roles. They play the role of mother and they play the role of father. Of course, that's an incredibly difficult thing to do. And our church community, and I think the body of Christ more generally on a larger scale, we should really be uh, stepping into the gap to help with, with those that need that help. Because kids do need strong, nurturing mother figures. They need strong, nurturing father figures in their lives. And so I just enjoin us all to uh, in, you know, encourage you to embrace the kids around us. I know we all do. Um, and that how the kids can learn so much from each one of us. I know that I'm excited to see my kids grow up with other men of faith that, that aren't me. I can tell you they're going to get tired of my example at some point, and they're going to need to learn something from the other men. And um, I won't say that about my wife. They're never going to get tired of my wife's example. Uh, but the other women's example will be great, too, uh, for them as well. Now, what, do, what does it look like for those without children or those of you that have grown children and you don't feel like maybe this isn't your day-to-day Thing that you think about, it's not as all-encompassing anymore. Uh, one of the things that the Truth Over Tribe podcast pointed out, and I thought it was fantastic, is you have the opportunity to be a spiritual parent, and that the Bible talks about that. And the they made an interesting point that in the Great Commission, uh, when when Jesus says, "Go forward and, and make all these disciples," that in some sense that's expanding on the first commandment that God gave humanity, which was, "Be fruitful and multiply." So there is a spiritual sense in which we can fulfill. Uh, the idea of being a mother or being a father. And honestly, as we're going to see in this next text, either sex can play either role in that spiritually. So motherhood isn't just limited uh, spiritually to women. It can be men can fill that role as well. Let's turn to our next text, actually. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Thinking about spiritual parenting, um, this one is, is a good one. Of course, Paul calls himself a father to the church at Corinth because he started that church. Um, but here in Thessalonica, another church that he helped begin, and he talks about instead of being a father to them, he talks about being a mother to them. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, verse 7, for this reason, uh, oh, excuse me, I'm in, I'm in chapter 3. But we were gentle. I was like, this is not right. Verse 7, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. What a great picture this is of a mother and what a mother does, right? 
not only willing to impart the gospel, which is the most life-giving thing that anyone can do for anyone else, but also giving your whole lives in service to someone else. Um, and the Apostle Paul compares his ministry to not just a mother, which would, I think, be a pretty outstanding uh, thing to apply uh, in his life, but to a nursing mother more specifically, where that motherhood is more all-encompassing and you don't really get a break and all those things. Uh, the selflessness, the gentleness, the love, and the care that mothers give to their newborn babies, this is what big, burly, bad, manly Apostle Paul brought to this church in Thessalonica. <laughs> He was proud to do that. He was proud to bring these attributes to this particular church. Um, and so I think in that, seeing, you know, he's, you know, this guy withstood lashes. He went to prison. He was shipwrecked like at least three times. For him to talk about the being like a nursing mother, I think that should catch our attention here. Uh, there's a lesson for all of us in that. And so today we're celebrating mothers. We're celebrating our mothers for the ways that they cared for us the ways that they challenged us to be bigger and better than we thought that we could, who loved us unconditionally, and the ways in which they led us to making greater commitments to Christ. And we also, I think, should pick up the mantle from our mothers, saying, we are now able to take care of other people and serve other people in love because you did this for me, because of your example, because I saw Christ live in you, I can now do this for other people. So we are to imitate their ways in Christ, just like Paul told us to imitate his ways in Christ. And so the message this morning is we can all nurture each other in the church. We can all nurture the children in the church. Uh, we can all nurture new Christians. We can bring people in from the outside. Uh, we can all love each other in self-sacrificial, service-oriented ways. And in doing that, we honor uh, mothers. That's, how, that's one way we can do that. We honor Christ so we can honor our mothers. I just want to close with a couple thoughts here. You know, sometimes we don't uh, feel like we have anything more to give, and I'm especially talking to our mothers today. Sometimes we are pushed to the edge of ourselves. We're tempted to give in to fatigue, to worry, to anger, to doubt. And so when I think about faith and motherhood, I think about being pushed to that edge and still not giving up. It's about asking God for strength and wisdom to tackle whatever obstacle is in front of us. God has entrusted our kids, the future generation who are going to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to us. And we can trust in him to equip us to see us through that calling. And, you know, we can all, I think, I know I find value in following the examples that I've seen of faithful motherhood around me in my mom and in my wife and in the other mothers here in this room, I think we can all find value in taking up that mantle from them, seeing how faith works in their lives and how hope and love and all the beautiful things work in their lives. So I tried not to mansplain too much this morning, and I'm going to uh, sit down before I do uh, any more damage than I've already done. Um, I'm going to invite Amanda up. Amanda's going to come up and share a little bit, and then after her, Dottie will come up. So thank you all very much. Amanda, come on up. That was amazing, Will. Thanks for your message. Um, okay. Uh, Ezekiel 36.26 says one of my favorite promises in the Bible. Um, 
I will give you a new heart and a new spirit will I put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. When I think about this verse, I cannot help but think about a heart transplant. I can't think about, I can't help but think about um, what it's like to be that person on the operating table about to go under the knife and the amount of trust that it takes to be willing to do that. And a word that I use a lot for laying myself out on an operating table in front of God is sanctification. One way that God has worked and still works to sanctify my heart is to allow me to partake in my small way in one of his most precious roles with us, that of parent. I'm very clear that this is an allowance for me, an undeserved grace from my creator. And he does so, he allows me to take this role because it is a process, one process through which he purifies my heart and slowly increases my trust in him. As many of you know, I am a mama to four incredible boys. Um, I get all kinds of reactions when we go places together, especially Costco. <laughs> we have two full carts. <laughs> um, sometimes someone will stop me and say, oh my gosh, you have four boys. I was one of four boys. It's the most incredible thing. But mostly people say, wow, you have four boys. <laughs> um, I'm really, really aware every single day that it didn't have to be this way. My life didn't have to be this way. And that this is a grace that God gave me because I needed it. It's a way that he reached out to me while I still stood in stubborn sin with a heart of stone in my flesh and began an operation that continues today. Um, I can't help but suspect a possible correlation between the amount of sanctification needed and the number of boys in a family. <laughs> I could almost imagine uh, some heavenly meeting where life curriculums are being assigned and God gets to my name and says, you know what, let's give her one more. Of all the mothers portrayed in the Bible, uh, maybe one of the women I identify most with is Eve. I don't think a lot of people would publicly claim that. Um, the first conversation that she had with God about motherhood was in the context of the fallout from her failure, her sin. Me too. I know this might come as a shock to some of you, but my husband Zach and I did not meet in church. And I'm going to make a long and might I add really good story, very short for today by telling you that a mere six months after we met, having spent less than a cumulative two weeks in each other's presence, we chose our wedding as the occasion to announce the name of our oldest son, Caleb Lauren, who would be born just four and a half months later. And I'll pause here so you can all do that story problem in your heads. <laughs> the short of it is that we had created a mess. And the surrounding circumstances there 
my husband's job, the fact that we didn't know each other, the fact that I was already expecting a child, the fact that we had absolutely no money and no plan, meant that our hope was very dim. And in that place, I begged God to redeem what I had broken. And he answered. He told me that it was going to hurt and that it was going to cost a lot. And that sounds to me a lot like the conversation he had with Eve. That weekend of our wedding, we gathered with just a few of our closest family and friends to make promises to each other and to God, freshly humbled for sure, and determined to build a life, a family, I'm sorry, for the little life that I was carrying. Some of our guests actually made bets about whether we would make it to one year. <laughs> Most wore nervous smiles as we cut the cake, and I think everyone was doing their best to believe in miracles. In Genesis 3, 13 through 16, we read, The Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you've done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and of dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Sounds a lot like the conversation I had with God. <laughs> I know that we usually hear these verses in a certain way. And yes, the business of childbearing is painful in so many more ways than labor and the pains of pregnancy. For mamas watching or who are here today who have suffered miscarriages, infertility, the loss of a child, a broken relationship with a child, I wholly believe that this is a part of the pain that entered the world with sin. I don't think motherhood is earned. One of the best mothers I know is still waiting for her first child after 13 years. And I ache with her and with all of you for complete restoration. But I think there's a little more to be seen here. I think that in these verses, we can find tremendous grace. From the womb of the woman who, according to Adam at least, just handed Satan the keys to the kingdom, God promises salvation a Messiah, a child. Have you ever heard someone tease an over-eager, hopeful parent that maybe they should start with a plant? <laughs> maybe you can see where I'm going. Have we ever paused right here in the story to be completely astonished that at this very moment, God did not rethink his entire plan for human procreation. There hadn't even been one sleepless night yet, and Adam and Eve were already sinning, bickering, and blaming each other. And yet, and yet, 
God doesn't turn his back. He doesn't wash his hands of the mess that they had made. Even as Eve stands naked in her sin before him, utterly unworthy, God entrusts her with the promise of his son, the fruit of his womb, her children and her children's children, generation after generation and on and on until one day a woman named Mary would kneel before God's messenger and say, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. His decision to involve us was never, and he had nothing to do with our merit, but instead it had to do with our transformation. First, our salvation, and then our sanctification, our heart transplant. He knew how much we would need him, and he is not only the perfect father, but also the perfect teacher, full of grace for our humble our fumbling hearts. I still actually haven't gotten around to unboxing or hanging up any art in my house. Um, I wouldn't want to rush the process. <laughs> uh, but in one of the boxes in our basement is this amazing little wood frame. Caleb picked it out a little over 10 years after his cameo at our wedding. We were shopping together in Idaho Falls at a holiday bazaar. We had just moved back to my hometown after Zach had finished his time in the military, and we moved back to Idaho Falls, a family of six. We had four healthy, incredible boys, and we were a family intact. I happened to glance over across the aisle at him just as he held it up for me to see, his sweet little face beaming over the top. It read, I still remember praying for the things I have now. As I watched time fly by in inches, we found out yesterday that Caleb is less than a half inch shorter than me now. I have become one of the insufferable ladies, Anna Brown knows this, who cannot help but warn new mamas not to be fooled by the long nights. The years are short, my friends. But by the incredible grace of God, it is not just Caleb who has grown up along the way. Bit by painful bit, God works in my role as a mama to sanctify my stubborn heart and to replace it piece by piece with a heart of flesh. More and more, I'm just blown away by his willingness to let me help, to trust me with four of his precious creations so that I can learn each day to say a little more like Mary, let it be to me according to your word. And like Jesus, not my will, Father, but yours alone. I know that everyone here is a mom, but I hope that you can see that this is not, this is not just about motherhood. This is about how God in his graciousness gives us roles in which he can grow us. What great responsibility has God entrusted to you? 
Because my guess is that that is where he's waiting for you. Waiting for you to surrender and climb onto the operating table and let him begin the work. That's it. Happy Mother's Day, friends. Uh, Dottie. Dottie's going to share with us about hope, right? Thanks, Amanda. Amanda should not be allowed to go first because she can cry, which makes me cry. So, but I'm not as good of a crier as she is. She can like talk through it. I can't talk through tears. So, um, when we're talking about trusting God in motherhood or faith in motherhood, like Will brought up, love is eternal, but faith and hope are not. Faith and hope are for today. And so when I was thinking about motherhood, I said, okay, my role for motherhood is actually a 30-something unmarried Jewish male who lived 2,000 years ago, <laughs> you know, so to speak. But it's the Messiah, the Son of God, is my role for motherhood. Now, that doesn't make any sense, does it? You can see how the world says, you know, this whole Christianity thing doesn't make any sense. But he is my role for motherhood. That, man, I love him that there's no better example for having faith in motherhood than the Son of God. There's no better example for me loving my earthly family than a man who never had an earthly family. And that's, that's amazing to me. He would be the best spouse. He was never married. These, it's just that's how good he is, and it's because of his faith in God. Um, but it's a tension. It's that tension of today and tomorrow. And we mothers mother in that tension. We don't ignore either sides of that coin. And so we mother in the tension of the now, but the not yet. We mother in the tension of loving our babies now, but knowing they're actually our brothers and sisters in Christ. We mother in the tension of we're so honest of today's difficulties, but we're fully persuaded of the light of tomorrow. We mother in the tension of doing our best to live out the kingdom today, knowing that we're going to fall short, but, but God. But God's got it covered for the future. We mother in this tension of doing best, our best to lay down our lives today, but knowing that God's going to fully restore us in the future. Our weaknesses will not be in our face. Because if you're not a parent, I will tell you that is one of the hardest things, is that all your weaknesses are constantly in your face. So one thing I think that's interesting, um, if you heard Will's teaching last time talking about Hebrews 11:6, it says, and without faith in motherhood, it's impossible to please him. Without faith in motherhood. This is where the verses that you say, if you look up mothers on the computer, you're not going to find a lot on mothers, how to be a mother. Let's just insert it here. Without faith in motherhood, it's impossible to please him. The next part of that verse is, for whoever would draw near to God. That's the next part of having faith. What a beautiful image of, wow, Jesus' great faith. He was so drawn near to God. And that is, is there anything that I want more for my children? There is literally nothing else that I would want more for my children than for them to be drawn near to God. And to, to develop their faith, the best way to do that is for me to continue in my own trust in God, my own faith my own role model of the Savior. So Hebrews 6.10 says, For God is not unjust. Don't you love the double negative? God is not unjust. That's beautiful. He's not unjust so as to overlook your work 
and the love that you have shown. Does this sound like you moms? All the quiet meals, all the wiped butts, all the, you know, late nights that you've just not slept, or the older moms waiting for their teens, sitting up, waiting for the 2 a.m. walk-in, all, all the things, all the moms praying for their older children, just all these moments that God sees, because you know why? He is not unjust. It would be unjust for him to overlook that. Isn't that beautiful? He is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love you have shown for his name. You're not doing it for your own. You're doing it for his name in serving the saints as you still do. This is saints serving saints. These are big saints serving little saints, but they're all still saints. So the next verse, verse 11 says, And we desire each one of you, mothers, to show the same earnestness or that same diligence to have the full assurance of hope until the end. Why? Why why does he want us to show that same love, diligent work? Verse 12, so that you may not be sluggish without hope, without the face of Jesus Christ to say, that's my role model, that's who I love, that's my example. We become sluggish if we miss him. But imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. We are promise inheritors, and we are raising God's inheritance. So my exhortation to mothers today is to let that light of the not yet shine in today. That's what makes today beautiful, because you are not overlooked by God. And let the anticipation of beholding the face of Jesus Christ energize your loving service today. And my exhortation to older mothers is, we need you. We need you so badly, so badly. And I think that is one of the biggest overlooked avenues is I don't think my generation really asks. We don't really ask for advice. Um, I think we've lost that skill. However, that needs to be communicated. So um, I just exhort you to find younger women, find those times with the older moms to listen and ask questions. And I, that was one of my New Year's resolutions was to talk less. I will I will keep talking but especially with older moms to really be you know be present in those moments so we need your wisdom and we might not overtly ask for it so please give it if you're inspired um, so now my exhortation to non mothers so if it was unjust if it, God did not want to be unjust as to overlook their work and their love that's serving in his name. If we want to bring God's kingdom justice now, we will not overlook the saints who are ministering. So again, these are saints serving saints. So this applies to anybody. This, but today we're specifically talking about min, um, mothering. So that I love that word of serving because it is the word minister. To minister. And to me, I think the word service doesn't do, like, this is probably just me, do as good of a justice as minister because minister to me has like a healing quality to it. It really has a depth to it that, you know, saints ministering to other saints and mothers needing to be ministered to. So one of the verses we'll put up was that Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve. But you know what? Jesus also had people ministering to him, which I think is amazing. So in Matthew 27, this is right after he was crucified that the women watched. He said, there were also many women there looking on from a distance. 
who had followed Jesus from Galilee ministering to him. Isn't that beautiful? That the minister of all time had ministers. That's so beautiful. Ministers need ministers. You can see why he put us in this body together. Um, has anybody seen The Chosen before? Any fans? So, and if you haven't, I'm going to ruin it for you. So just season two, episode three. There is this episode that isn't exactly found in scripture, but it's one of those just assumptions that this happened. So Jesus, it's um, nighttime. It's like dusk. Um, so Jesus has, is ministering off screen to all these people all day. And so the disciples are coming back and forth to the campfire. So the whole episode is pretty much the disciples whining at the campfire. I can't believe all these people. I can't believe Rome is like this. Why didn't Jesus get rid of Rome already? I can't believe you're a zealot. I can't believe you're a tax collector. I hope you feel guilt about that. And so I'm watching this episode, and I'm thinking, like, this is like the worst episode of this, ep this season yet that I've seen. And so in the last two minutes, you hear, like, a huffing and a puffing on screen and, like, a shuffling on feet. And Jesus is coming back. And so Jesus is walking on from off screen, and he says one word. He says, good night. So all of these people who were not ministering are very busy. They're clearly very busy talking to each other. But he's the one ministering. And so he just, he is out of breath. He's filthy. He's so tired. He walks back to his tent. And his mom, Mary, one of the women who followed him, comes to him and wipes him down and washes his feet and cleans the blood off his hands from healing. And he says, I am so tired. And somebody to minister to the minister what a thing that he needed. He didn't, need, he didn't need to join the fire and said, wow, look at all those sinners that I dealt with today. I can't believe it. No, he loved those people, and he loved the people around the campfire too. He just needed to be ministered to. That's what he needed at that time. So that's what we mothers need. We, I need somebody to pray for me. I need somebody to pray with me when I don't have the words to pray, to pray out loud so I can hear those things. I need someone to encourage me, heal me, minister to me, feed me physically, but also feed me spiritually. Feed me in the now, but feed me with the not yet. That's going to keep me going in the, the nitty-gritty of the day-to-day. -day. And isn't that an anchor? That is the hope of the anchor of the soul, that the not yet is what anchors us. That's what anchored Jesus in his ministering of those people, where he tells his mom, I am so tired. I am so tired. And he needed a minister. So, and you know, you're probably thinking, but Dottie, I'm so tired. It's, it's just, because that's what young moms, especially young moms, um, moms with young kids, it's, you're just physically tired, but you know what? You're just so spiritually tired. It's, it's like, this is how I usually describe motherhood. It's like you're at being asked to feed the, the best meal, but you are starving. And it's just, it's the, all of you is out front for everybody to see. So I read this verse, and see if you moms can relate. So this is Matthew 14, verse 13. It says, now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew. Have you ever done that, moms? He withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. <laughs> That's usually something I want for Mother's Day. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot. You see, you go to the bathroom by yourself, and you see little hands under the door, little fingers under the door. So Jesus had just heard that his cousin John had been beheaded. So he tries, he tries to withdraw 
to a desolate place by himself. That all sounds great, but they, they hear about it and they, they follow him. So next he goes ashore and there's, he sees a great crowd and he has compassion on them. You know, he could have said, what about me? I need compassion too, but God is not unjust. So as to overlook his work and the labor of love that he has shown in serving the saints, as he still does, because he's still working. But so then after this time, it's where he feeds the 5,000. This is that record. This is that beautiful record of him so tired and withdrawing. He wants to be by himself in a desolate place. Not only that, he gets thousands of people and then he feeds them. He feeds them all. So he had the hope of the future that kept him grounded. So this is faith. This is faith in motherhood is the now in light of the not yet, is the being able, to, being able to see God's people in the face of my little person who wants a granola bar. You know, just seeing the moments that there is eternal impact here because that's who we're raising. So we keep on relying him to provide the increase. What did they say on the feeding of the 5,000? We only have you know, five loaves and two fishes. And then he said, let me bless and break it. So you know what we do? We bring to God our five loaves and our two fish, and we let him multiply it. I don't need to sit around the campfire and talk with my lady friends about, oh my gosh, I can't believe I only have five loaves and two fishes. So our first and foremost priority is to bless it and let God be God and, and do the increase. That's faith. That's where faith is, trusting him that he's going to provide. So we keep ministering to our crowd, whether your crowd's at work for the rest of you or your family, whoever that may be, and finding people who are minister to you, finding those right people to surround yourselves with, and praying to God, saying, God, I need to be fed. Who do I need to be around to feed me? So keep calling out to God to magnify that anchoring hope. I think that's another important part. I remember driving in the car when I first had Naomi, and I felt like I was so spiritually starving. And I just, I said, God, you need to come to me. I didn't know how, I, by my own works, I felt like I couldn't go to him any more than I already knew how. I, so I literally remember saying out loud, I need you to come to me. So we keep mothering in faith within that tension, trusting that your work of raising up his inheritance has an eternal impact. So... In light of all that, um, let's pray for all of these things that we can continue trusting God, whether it's in motherhood and remembering that the true faith lay in the face of Jesus Christ. And man, that's who we love, is our Lord. So God, we thank you for the love that you have shown in giving your son for us and the love that he's shown by serving and by ministering to the people and for all the people who did their very best to serve him as well. And that's what we do, God. We bring our five loaves and two fishes, and we bring them to you, and we trust that you will multiply it, and then we can feed the masses, and that we glorify you in the process. So we praise your name today. We praise your name together. We bless all these mothers, all the new mothers, the mothers that wish they were mothers, and all the mothers-to-be. So thanks for pointing us always back to you and your word and to your love and your hope and your faith that keeps us going today and for the future. It's in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Compass Christian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. 
For more information on how we are striving to follow Jesus together here in Louisville, Kentucky, check out our website, compasslou.org, where you can subscribe to our newsletter and view additional resources.